Welcome. We are Romy, Henk-Jan, Julia and Jorm, honor students at Utrecht University, and we are fascinated by alien life. We will discuss the possibilities for the existence of extraterrestrial life during this podcast series. For this series, we interviewed Malcolm Fritland, a professor at Leiden University who teaches the astrobiology course. He also worked for the European Space Agency for 25 years. In this first episode, we will take a look at what exactly can be defined as life and under which circumstances life can exist. Extraterrestrial life has been depicted in media many times. Just think about the many movies made about alien life, such as Avatar, Alien, and of course E.T. It's obvious that creatures like E.T. are forms of extraterrestrial life, life which is found beyond the boundaries of our planet. But where do we draw a line in the definition of alien life? Should we call something that simply copies itself, like a virus, an alien, or should such a thing even be considered life? Yes, what exactly is life itself? Well, in high school, we often hear our teachers mention things like it should be able to grow, have a metabolism, reproduce, observe. The seven characteristics of life. Yes, indeed. These seven characteristics are order, response to the environment, reproduction, growth and development, regulation, homeostasis and the production of energy. But how about bacteria? Do they grow? And a virus, is that life? And what about fruits, which have been modified so they don't produce seeds? Well, there are a lot of difficulties with this definition, and there are many different ways to approach this question of what life is and how to define it. When we look at viruses, we can call them life if we simply say everything that mutates and is under a pressure of selection is considered life. You could take COVID as an example. Like any other virus, it mutates and is under a pressure of selection. If this would be your definition of life, then it would be considered life. Malcolm Friedland, the professor we interviewed, also mentioned a question he always asked his students. I ask my students when I teach my, teach my, taught my course in astrobiology every time I ask them what they think is a virus alive or not. Well, we discussed within our group, but we weren't <laughs> certain. Yeah, I get the result that 50% thinks it's alive or, and 50% don't. But recently, I thought that more people say that it is alive. And that may be because of the pandemic, where, where it looks like there's some evil being coming around. Uh, uh, and if we would say viruses are not alive? Then we could define life in the way John Haldane, an evolutionary biologist, did. Then we could call something life when it is a system away from equilibrium. So, for example, a cell which has a metabolism. 
it takes up nutrients from the out from outside of the cell and gathers those. Um, while viruses don't have a metabolism, bacteria, plants, fungi, and animals do. So a virus would not be considered life, while other organisms organisms would be. Yes, and the challenges we just mentioned are clearly visible in recent attempts to come up with a suitable definition of life. Scientists come up with immensely complicated definitions, such as a self-contained, self-regulating, self-organizing, self-reproducing, interconnected, open thermodynamic network of component parts, uh, which performs work existing in a complex regime, which combines stability and adaptability in the phase transition between order and chaos. Wow, that sounds very difficult and elaborate. Uh, should we even try to uh, define life? That is a very good question. Some scientists argue that we shouldn't, as defining life is not as easy as it seems, and all definitions proposed thus far face serious problems. Can we just look for something which resembles cells, bacteria, and when such a thing is found, look what it is? Well, searching for alien life without a set definition might actually make the search even easier. How would it make it easier? Um, well, the idea that is that life on Earth represents just a single example of life, which might be unrepresentative of life in general. Astrobiologists don't know how different alien life, uh, how different alien life could be from the life that we are familiar with especially in environments that are very different from those found on Earth. Uh, it might therefore be better to search for extraterrestrial life without a set definition for life. But wouldn't you still need some kind of definition of life, even if you are just searching for signs of life? If we don't know what we define as life, how could we properly search for signs of it, like something which resembles cells or bacteria? I think we could talk about this for hours and still not have any good answers to all these questions. Let's see what an expert in the field would say about all of it. Uh, yes, let's do that. Uh, we asked Malcolm uh, what he considered life during our interview with him. It's a completely philosophical question. It touches on our thoughts about the universe and uh, everything. Uh, but the, a good scientific definition of life that's completely unique doesn't really exist in my 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 book. I mean, uh, it, it's very hard to tell the difference of life between uh, uh, virus and uh, and other bacteria and so on. Wouldn't it also be very useful to know how and where life can emerge when looking for it? Uh, yes, knowledge of how life emerged and what the conditions were on Earth would help our search for extraterrestrial life tremendously. Uh, we do have a rough idea of what the planet looked like back then, three and a half to four billion years ago. But of course, it's quite difficult to know this in detail. Uh, a much bigger challenge is figure out the mechanisms uh, with which uh, the first life forms were made. Why is this so difficult? Well, even when looking at the simplest life forms around today, they are incredibly complex and will be very difficult to make from scratch. And also because a lot of systems within life are very intertwined. So you get a uh, sort of chicken and egg problem of what, okay, which system came first. Because, uh, for example, in biology, nucleic acids are reproduced by proteins. But to make these proteins, nucleic acids are needed to store the information of how to make the proteins. 
uh, of course, there's been a lot of research in this field in the last 50 to 60 years, uh, but none of the theories they have come up with uh, have been proven right. Hold on, nucleic acids? You're losing me. Uh, so, lose, uh, so all of my cells, all of your cells, and every human, uh, they all contain genetic information. This is the manual which describes uh, what happens in your body, uh, for example, what you look like. Uh, somewhere in the manual, there's, for example, a chapter about your blue eyes, about your hair color, about your height, etc. Uh, well, as you already probably know, this information is stored in your DNA. Uh, DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. It's the cool uh, leather-like strand which is always shown in detective series movies. Uh, so as the name implies, the main building blocks of DNA are nucleic acids. These are the letters which make up your body's manual. Thanks for the recap, but then the question is, what came first, DNA or proteins? Almost, but it's actually about uh, RNA or proteins. Yes, RNA is the step in between DNA and proteins. Yeah, DNA is read and then a sort of copy is written, which is RNA. It is then brought to a manufacturer which reads the copy and produces the protein. Okay, but then it seems pretty logical that there was first an instruction and then the proteins. Uh, yes, that is the principle of the RNA world theory, which states that uh, certain RNA structures could be self-replicating, and from uh, that point, uh, the step to DNA is not that massive. Uh, but then you might ask, how did you get the building blocks for the RNA in the first place, if there weren't any proteins to make these building blocks? Uh, there have been multiple experiments, uh, most famously the Miller-Urey experiment, uh, experiments, which show that amino and nucleic acids uh, can be prepared with conditions and compounds likely available on the Earth around that time. And what kind of conditions are those? Can they be found on other planets? Uh, well, the conditions Urey and Miller assumed were the presence of liquid water, gaseous ammonia and carbon monoxide under a uh, reducing atmosphere. This reducing atmosphere could have been caused by, for example, by lightning strikes. Uh, there shouldn't have been, there also shouldn't have been too much radiation or too extreme temperatures. Uh, but there has been critique on the conditions uh, Miller and you are used, since there's still a lot of debate about the exact conditions on the early Earth. Uh, there is, as you might expect, no exact copy of the primordial Earth in our solar system, but there are a few other possibilities. We'll discuss this in the third episode. And what is a place where life could have begun on Earth? Just some random spot in the ocean? Well, there are a lot of researchers, researchers speculating that it happened in black smokers, which are hydrothermal vents, which are large volcanoes, volcanoes at the bottom of the ocean with very uh, high temperatures. But it could also have originated in freshwater. We just don't really know that yet. Mm. Are there any other theories about the origin of life on Earth? Uh, there's also a, a theory with experiments proving it, that a very simple self-reproducing membranes uh, could have been formed uh, around that time, which is the protocell world, uh, and that these later somehow uh, got are some RNA precursors in them, or RNA building blocks, and then facilita facilitated the development of RNA. Uh, I've also found another uh, systems chemistry study that tries to discover reaction conditions uh, where both the membrane 
for the cell and the nucleic acids can be formed almost simultaneously. Of course, the conditions they would have to use uh, are very complex uh, and series of events that have to happen are very specific, um, but they're not entirely impossible for them to have happened around on Earth around that time. We had billions of years uh, for a certain, certain reaction to happen and like the chances of it happening, even if they are very slim, if you have a billion years, they will most likely happen. Uh, one thing that is very different from the more common ideas of where life began is that it happened on the surface of Earth without uh, a constant supply of liquid water instead of in the in liquid water or in the near sea, deep in the deep sea near black smokers. And would it also be possible that life did not originate on Earth, but somewhere else in the universe after which it somehow ended up on Earth? Uh, well, this is exactly the idea behind the panspermia hypothesis, which states that life might have originated somewhere else. It then reached Earth by means of transportation through the universe, for example, by asteroids. Okay, it's becoming clear to me that we simply do not have the answers to questions like these about life and the origins of life. There are, however, things in the search for life that we are more certain about, such as the evolution of life. And this is one of the topics we will be discussing in the next episode. Thanks to my co-hosts Henk-Jan, Romy and Julia. And a special thanks to Professor Malcolm Fritland, who wanted to discuss astrobiology with us. We hope you'll be joining in with us for our next episode of Are We Alone?